Welcome to the Big Fundamental Podcast, Ken's Fives podcast on the San Antonio Spurs and NBA basketball. I'm Jackson Floyd. Joining me as always, we've got Evan Klosky. What up? Tom Petrini. Hey, guys. Bringing you everything Spurs related on Ken's on Five TV, digital platforms. We've got you covered. Uh, guys, last time we spoke, the Spurs were two and two, and we were fine with that. And then they promptly lost two more games. That turned into more game skid. Um, but then they beat the Clippers, and all is right with the world, right, guys? Yeah, I mean, it was one of those things where I was excited about this Clippers matchup before the season. Um, and it, it was going in a more stealable game than playing the defending champs with LeBron who have a lot less question marks around them. Um, but we've seen this Clippers team struggle without one of Kawhi and Paul George. They struggled a lot more without uh, uh, Kawhi, probably because he's the better player. But um, last night they didn't have Paul George and the Spurs came out and uh, like really took it to him in the early going. Um, and, I mean, the thing that jumped out to me was Pop was taking no prisoners from the jump yesterday. And that was something that I asked the guys about after the game. And they were like, yeah, no, he was on one. And, um, you know, so for, for him to set the tone like that and for them to bring that intensity into the game, fight, you know, fight as Kawhi delivered the inevitable run in that third quarter. Um, but then he was gassed in the fourth. And... Um, overall, this Spurs team played a really great game. Patty, spectacular, career high eight points. He he definitely fed off that energy from Pop. He was bringing it. Dejounte, huge bounce back game, and um, it was great to see Lamarcus Aldridge back out there. And even though Demar Derozan didn't have the scoring and playmaking impact that he usually has, probably because he was being guarded by Kawhi Leonard. Um, <laughs> He, he made a great contest on a, a three to tie at the very end there and uh, helped seal the game for the Spurs as they desperately tried to blow it down the stretch. Um, but, I mean, anytime you can go into Staples Center nowadays and come out with a win, especially for this Spurs team, especially on a, on a four-game losing streak, take it. Yeah. I mean, look, the, uh, I, I said on Twitter last night, the tax for no Paul George was Beverly hitting six three-pointers. So, you know, it all equals out in that world. Um, It was one of those things where in the first half, I think the first half for the Spurs was probably the best half of basketball we've seen this year. It it goes right there with the Memphis Grizzlies second half, I think. Um, but, But really all it comes down to is the fact that the Spurs were hitting shots. Uh, for the most part, we haven't seen this offensive output um, since the Grizzlies game as well. You know, obviously the Spurs are rarely going to hit 23 pointers in a game. It, it tied a franchise record, though it is going to happen a few times this season, just by the pure fact that they're a team that's willing to shoot it 40 times in a game. Um, that is a point of emphasis. Uh, it's never been a point of emphasis in the franchise's history, really. So, um, you know, that that's something to keep an eye on. Patty Mills. Can I just had to jump hit- in? I, I think it was really yeah. 
kind of poetic that in the in the Jazz game first half they gave up eleven of twenty one shooting from three to the Jazz in their building. Then they go on the road to play the Clippers, shoot eleven of twenty one in the first half from three. Um, you know, just one of those little weird universe things. It it totally is right. You had an outlier uh, in the Jazz that when we get through the whole season, we get through all of our sample size, that Jazz game is going to be an outlier. Um, you know, and, and honestly, the Spurs shooting effort from three is probably going to trend more towards, I don't want to say it's an outlier, but it's definitely going to be toward, if you have your curve, it's going to be towards the end of that curve uh, versus uh, the middle. So um, really, and not only were they hot, the Spurs, um, you know, the Clippers weren't making much either, but, that actually had to do a lot more with, I think, the defensive intensity than anything else. Towards the end of that second quarter, you saw the Clippers kind of getting some free looks there from deep, which they weren't getting for about a, qu- a quarter and a half. They were missing most of them still. But then that lethargy caught up to them in the third quarter, and that's really when the Clippers stomped in their throat and got back on the game. I think they won the third quarter by 18 points. And if it wasn't for Patty and Rudy really stepping up there in that, that second unit time, then, you know, who knows how that, that game ends up. It should have been an easy win. Nonetheless, it's a win. And when you were projecting this stretch before the season, Lakers, Lakers, Jazz, at Clippers, at Lakers, I, I was of the belief that they would win one. And if you can win two, that was fantastic. So they got their win. It wasn't the win I thought. I thought they were going to beat the Jazz preseason. Uh, but doesn't matter how you get it. You got it. And there's, you, know, you can't overreact in this stretch, um, especially because it's all fairly explainable. Um, the Pelicans game, when you look back on it and you look at all the statistics, it's going to be a real, real shame that they didn't win that Pelicans game because that's probably going to be their best defensive performance of the season, one of them. I mean, they're like, if you look at the statistics, it's like they're like the 97th percentile and like everything. It's crazy they didn't win that game. And it took a really off night um, shooting wise and, and really doing nothing in transition to lead to that. But, you know, the back end of a, of a, a back-to-back on a travel day, you play the, the world champions, you play the world champions again. Both games, you were kind of in it. Um, definitely more so the second game, but the first game, there were some positives as well. The Jazz game, you just stunk it up, and that's going to happen uh, throughout the season. You're going to have four or five games where you just suck. That's just a reality. And, um, and then, you know, you, you, you pull one out against the Clippers, which is huge. Um, now you get to take on the Lakers and, and see where you stand. Lakers come off a, 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 you know, a rough effort against the Grizzlies, but they pulled out the two-point win, 94 to 92. So – um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll catapult into the nitty-gritty now. Evan, you, you brought up Rudy Gay there. I, I want to get to you, Jackson. I want to ask you about that that game. Uh, and I guess starting with the enigma of Rudy Gay, right? Because yeah. if, you, if, you look at, if you just look at the box score, you look at his production, he had 16 points, seven boards last night, actually shot the ball pretty efficiently. Um, A couple and, of bank shots. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but he was over 50% from the floor, over 50% from three. That's the first time this season he's done that. Yep. Um, and he's, he's missed a lot of shots that have been good shots. He's forced a lot of shots that have gone in, um, as, as has been his MO over the last kind of year or so. But he missed a, a wide-open dunk 
at the end of this game, set up on a beautiful feed by DeJounte. DeJounte mm-hmm. found him in the corner on the next possession, wide open. He missed a three. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm struggling to evaluate Rudy Gay this season because he does some things really well still. Uh, but there are some things that really leave you wanting more. So, Jackson, starting there, what, what, are, your, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, he honestly shouldn't be in the game at that point in time, right? We're talking about the final five minutes, the fourth quarter. He's playing the center position in that lineup because Aldridge isn't there, right? Uh, he's not there in the fourth quarter last night, uh, as far as I can tell. Uh, he didn't take a shot. In the, I don't think he stepped on the floor in the fourth quarter. And I don't know if Pop spoke to that after the game, if that's just him coming back from injury or whatnot. But that's when you want to rely on a guy like Aldridge instead of Gay. Uh, Gay also had a turnover on the uh, defensive end uh, where he reached out for a ball as it was going out of bounds and went off him. Uh, I tweeted last night that was five minutes Rudy Gay would really like to forget. Um, I, I like Gay as a player. He's, he's been strangely one of our best defensive players uh, and an anchor for that second unit that um, has carried the Spurs when they're at 100%, when you've got Jakob in that second unit. Um, I, I just want to also speak to the intensity that you guys were talking about. Um, I know, Tom, you said Popovich was kind of had everyone fired up. Um, DeJounte Murray, I think, also commented the fact that Patty Mills brought a lot of that intensity to the game, too. And you saw that, you know, it was a career best night for him. Uh, I believe eight three pointers. Um, I, I also want to say I, I jinxed the the Spurs on the franchise team record for threes in a game. Uh, after they hit that 20th, I went ahead and drafted the tweet for the next one uh, and it never came. So uh, that's on me. I'll take the blame for that. Do you think they'll hit it this year? Do you think they'll get 21 this year? I think, I think so. so. Yeah, they've got the shooters to do it. They're going to take more shots. Aldridge took six three-pointers last night, which I'm all about. We didn't see any Get from back. Hit one off the bounce. That was nice. Yeah. Uh, we didn't see any from DeRozan, but he's going to have nights where he shoots three or four. They're going to take the shots to get it. So I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah. And, I mean, the most confounding thing with Rudy Gay is, and we saw last year, the fact that he is missing – wide open shots you know it's not like he is forcing anything to a degree and and i'll go a little bit more in depth on that but um just i think he's like tom you looked it up with 27 percent or so i don't know how the numbers changed after last night but last year he was in a 20 some odd percents on wide open shots this year it's the same thing i don't know why this guy likes to be contested versus wide open but that seems to be a running theme late in his career that even though he has these great looks he's not hitting them um and and when you look at the trends um when he came to san antonio he was shooting the percentage of his shots around the rim at 33 percent year after year it's gone 33 26 21 17 so he is moving away from the rim and obviously when you look at the three pointers when he came to san antonio it started at 19 percent to 23 percent to 34 percent to almost 50 percent so his shot his choice of shots seem a little bit questionable and i'm starting to wonder and again i have to i have to look at all of his shots as well if when he is wide open if he should take a couple of dribbles and pull up a jumper versus taking that three, just because it does not seem like he is succeeding with that, but he, he's a pretty good mid-range jump shooter. That, he, he has a lot of success there. He's in the top half of the league for sure in, in his accuracy uh, from, from that range. So, you know, that, that's just one of my things of how maybe they can tinker 
uh, Rudy. And, and by the way, he's shooting on all mid-range shots, 54%, which puts him in the 79th percentile in the, in the league as far as bigs are concerned. Um, I've got the uh, closest defender numbers here on three-pointers. Uh, look, looks like 20% of his shots are wide-open three-pointers, and he's hitting them at 29%, which is not great. And then, and then 28% of his shots are open three-pointers, and he's hitting those at 30%. So he's, t- he's taking great shots mm-hmm. for those ones, but missing them. And then making the tough ones. And I think part of it, I mean, Rudy Gay was probably the best basketball player on his basketball team for quite some time growing up. And even in the NBA, he was a go-to guy. You know, somebody who the defense is key in on who he's used to creating space and creating his own shot against good individual defense. So it, you know, we, we all think about how theoretically a catch and shoot three point shot should be mechanically much easier than bumping bodies and, and, you know, pulling up for, for a shot off the bounce. But Rudy Gay seems to be better at that. Um, So definitely something to watch. It's something that, we saw a lot last season and then, um, you know, he, he was much better in the bubble. Um, and we saw some of that in the preseason, some of that, but he, he's still, uh, still just putting my brain in a pretzel. I, I can't make sense of it. And, and here's the thing. Uh, you, you see a lot on social media, uh, Rudy Gay, he's going to regress to the mean, he's going to regress to the mean. And, and, and sort of, I mean, last night, you know, all takes with, with such a small sample size is like one or two nights and you're going to be right back to your normal percentages. So um, he's up to 31% now from three. Um, last year, he was 34% from three. His 18 to 19 season uh, really just seems like an outlier. It was a fantastic year for him. The reason why the Spurs made the playoffs that year, he was 41% from three that season. But the year before, he was 33%. Um, you know, he's and then before that 38, 35, 37. I mean, you know, those days are probably gone. You could probably expect them to be around 31%, especially with the volume he's shooting. Like normally I would say he's probably going to be around 34, 35%. But when he's shooting it six times a game, you're probably playing with a little bit of fire in those percentages, which means you're, you're, you're likely to see a little bit of dip just due to the frequency of, of the shots. Um, but you know, that the other end is if he's putting up six shots and still shooting his 34%, is that worth it? Um, the, the other oddity is that he's shooting 40% from deep on non-corner three-pointers and 8% on corner three-pointers. Another really odd thing that we cannot explain. <laughs> I don't – Rudy Gay is confounding. It is so, it is so funny to watch. Um, but, but having said that, I, I think Rudy with Yak out there helps the offense significantly move the ball better to where Rudy doesn't feel the necessity to ISO or take shots. And, it, it, you know, last night we saw that it wasn't necessarily the Rudy show. Uh, Patty was controlling a, a lot of the offense, and especially with the way he was shooting – that's the way you have to do it. Like when Patty has the hot hand, you got to feed him. Like that's just, you know, sadly that second unit kind of runs as far as Patty goes. I think he's really the X factor there. Um, and you certainly until Derek White comes back and somebody goes to that bench. 
Correct. And, you know, and that's the, that's the flip side. And we got to talk about Derek White, but the, the positive, if you will, uh, to, a, to a crappy situation is that Devin Vassell stays in that second unit. And I think Vassell is a great person with that, you know, group of personnel, I should say. And he was um, fantastic last night. He was three great. Or four from and, three, great defense. Yeah, and, and not to mention those threes came at big times. I mean, a, a couple of those threes came when the Clippers were pushing and pushing and he stopped the bleeding temporarily, but that helped. I mean, and, and then I believe one of the threes helped propel the Spurs into that big run before they gave it up again, uh, you know, entering the fourth quarter and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, Vassell has made the, the most of his minutes again, uh, year one, he is not going to be somebody who's out there just making plays like Keldon. Like Keldon, we notice, right? You don't not, you're not going to always notice what Devin's doing on the floor. But I, I think I, I posted last night his plus minus, which is a flawed statistic, I know. But Devin Vassell has the highest plus minus on the team at plus 40. Uh, you know, Rudy's at plus 38. I think Patty's at plus or, – or sorry, yeah, uh, Yox's at plus 38, I think. Rudy's at plus 35 and Patty's at something like that. You know, Rudy, it, it goes Devin, Rudy, and Yak are right there, plus 35 and up, and then Patty's the next one. So it just shows you that really that second unit is where the Spurs make their money. You know, they, they want to they wanna get you into your depth because the Spurs' depth is better than your depth. With Vassell, you're right that he doesn't always make the flashy play. And, you know, you – you kind of have to watch him. There was there was a couple of things that happened last night that really made me like jump out of my seat. Uh, he was guarding Lou Williams, right? Cr- one of the craftiest scoring vets in the league, right? He gets his hands forward, gets his hands caught in the cookie jar. Lou Will shoots three free throws. The next quarter, very similar situation. And Vassell's hands are still there, but he knows that Lou Will is going to try to draw the foul that way. So as soon as he sees that, he, he rips his hands back and Lou Will's like, oh, he didn't foul me. And it's an yeah. handle. It was, I, I jumped out of my seat. It was instant learning and so good. Watching him play defense is a joy. Like I'm going to go back and watch these games and like go to the parts where Devin Vassell is on the floor and just watch him. And, you know, in that, in that jazz game, he busted up a lob for Rudy Gobert at the rim. I know on draft night, people were like, you know, oh, too many guards. How many guards in the world are busting up a Rudy Gobert lob? It's, it's not a lot. Yeah, his, his defense uh, is why his draft stock was so high and why he was worth a top 10 pick there, the 11th pick, um, you know, coming into this. Uh, we've spoken a lot about his defense of the season. I, I, he made a play on the transition offense, which uh, I know the broadcast ran several times last night, uh, streaks down the floor. Uh, a guy who is fast, should be using the speeds, knows, knows what to do on the transition there uh, and can be kind of a highlight reel there. Uh, and that's very important to uh, them. Uh, you brought up uh, Kellen Johnson, Evan. Uh, how storybook was it that the win, uh, Patty was obviously the most valuable player on the court tonight, you know, a career night for him. DeJounte Murray, not enough people are speaking about the game he put in last night and the game he's put in. I mean, his season this year has been tremendous and he's really taken a step forward that people need to see. But when it comes down to it, Pirtle going back to the second unit and anchoring that second unit with Aldridge's arrival, Keldon Johnson being fearless, putting up big plays. uh, He's proven to be a better defender than I expected him to be uh, guarding people bigger than him too. And then of course, uh, DeMar DeRozan, all three of those guys 
were involved in the Kawhi trade. You know, those are the three pieces the Spurs returned, uh, received in return for Kawhi. And Damar obviously didn't put it up on the scoreboard, but he was the guy who took the toughest defensive assignment of the night, right? Six seconds left. Kawhi Leonard's going to get the ball. DeMar goes mano mano with the claw and puts in a stellar defensive effort, keeps him from getting the shot he wants. He ends up taking a step back three there. Um, obviously, DeMar is not an excellent defender. He, uh, is, I think, is putting still is putting up the worst uh, defensive rating on the team, and that's something the Spurs deal with on a night-to-night basis. But when it comes down to these one-on-one matchups, on either side of the floor, I think DeMar has the ability to win those, you know, on the defensive end and on the offensive end. Uh, so you like to see that. You know, Disney can't write a story like that, so uh, we'll, we'll take it. The thing with DeMar's defense is like if he locks in, he can he can lock in for a play like that, you know. It's it's the throughout the game, you know, getting lost on backdoor cuts type of thing that kills you with DeMar on defense. But, you know, game on the line, he's he's coming out ready to to kill and he's he you know he's still like a little bit he he must still feel some sort of way about that trade. Uh, and he's still here in San Antonio. Obviously, the Raptors won their championship. But, um, you know, I mean, Keldon cramming one home on, on Kawhi, who wanted no part of the poster, uh, was, was funny to watch. Um, and, I mean, Keldon is shaping up to be just a, a really, really special young player for the Spurs. I don't think... Um, I think people outside of San Antonio are starting to see it. Um, but, you know, if you if you asked people around the league for for their top five players from last year's draft and they're not super familiar with San Antonio, they might get to four and then be like, and it's it's probably Keldon. Like I I think I think he's been that and the, and fell all the way to twenty nine and, and the Spurs got him there. So Obviously, something to you know. These guys are all early in their careers, but um, Keldon is is really special, man, and he brings a level of intensity too um, that uh, all of these guys are are really intense competitors. Every single one of them. Um, I would say you don't get to this level if you're not, but hey, uh, look around the league. <laughs> you know, and and. Um... The statistics draw it out as well. Um, as far as wings go, he's in the 95th percentile as far as offensive rebounds. Um, and then he's, on, he's in the 95th percentile as far as defensive rebounds as a wing. Um, you know, the, the interesting part of where the game is sort of going is he, uh, he's, he's a two-level scorer, really. He shoots threes and he goes to the rack. Um, now – to show you where the game's going, 28% of his shots are from deep. That's seventh percentile as far as wings go. Um, but 52% of his shots are at the rim, which make him in the 95th percentile. Then when you talk about the shots made, um, he's at 42% from three, which is, which is definitely above average. So even though he's not shooting as much from three, he could probably be shooting a little bit more. But, you know, his selectivity there – seems to be working out for him because he's lighting it up from deep. Uh, the only thing is he's shooting 52% from the rim and he's 58% as far as the shots made by the rim. So the thing about Keldon, which is so exciting is that he hasn't completely fully formed out. Um, he, he hasn't, he hasn't filled out his body yet, which is scary. 
because he's already so physical. Um, when he does fill out his body more, he's going to finish more. So now you have a guy who is going to the rack more than, you know, almost every other wing in the league. So you have this big old body charging right at you. And, and we've seen it. We, I mean, go look at the bigs that he's gone up against and has, and has gotten buckets on. I mean, whether it's been Anthony Davis, uh, Anthony Davis or, or Serge Ibaka, um, you know, he, he's challenged LeBron. I mean, he doesn't give a crap who's in front of him, uh, Gasol. I mean, he's going at monster bodies at the rim, and he's finishing some of them. And we are still in, in the early stages of his career. He's going to figure out how to maneuver his way better. And, you know, as I said in previous podcasts, I think the next step for him is to be able to draw that attention near the rim and then kick out and find even more open looks for his teammates, which I think will be the next part of his development once he establishes how dangerous he is in the paint. But he is certainly looking like the hidden gem in that Kawhi deal. And the one, I mean, I mean, we love Yak. I think DeMar is a whole other debate of whether, you know, we got a long season to go and, and we'll say the DeMar ba- debate again for, for well down the line. But when it's all said and done, I think Keldon is going to be the resounding piece that saves that sort of deal. So Evan, you just named all the players he's gone up against on the offensive side. You know, he took it to LeBron, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard last night. He's also guarded those guys on the other end, right? He didn't back down from the LeBron assignment. He didn't back down from the Kawhi Leonard assignment. Uh, and he held his own as a 21-year-old in his 22nd, 23rd game of the 24th game, I guess, last night uh, of the uh, of his career. Uh, so I started thinking about, you know, other Spurs at this age, you know, and I, he's honestly probably the best young Spur we've had since Tim Duncan. Uh, honestly, Man, Manu in four years after joining the Spurs was leading Argentina to the gold medal uh, in the 2004 Olympics. And Tony Parker wins a finals MVP, um, you know, after a few years in, uh, with the Spurs, like six years with the Spurs, um, but they weren't doing it at 21. Uh, but Tim Duncan, so I started looking back at how Tim Duncan did in his first 25 games, just for comparison's sake. Um, and there really isn't a comparison. Tim Duncan is, is one of the greatest players of all time. And his third game, Tim Duncan had a 19.22 rebound game, which is just amazing uh, for, for a player his size. But again, you don't expect that from Kellen Johnson, who was the 29th pick. You know, Tim Duncan was the number one pick, consensus number one pick taken in that draft. Uh, he's the most valuable young piece the Spurs team has, right? Tom, you'd put him over DeJounte or Lonnie or uh, Devin Vassell. I think at this point, yes, because you you look at what he brings that the other guys don't, which is that size, that big body. Um, and I think he could shake out to be the most accurate three-point shooter of the group. Um, and, I mean, the, w- the way he attacks, I think if every player on the Spurs attacks the way he did, um, they'd, they'd be a much better team for it. Um, but, yeah, like Tim, Tim Duncan, when he was drafted, he was 22. Kelton just turned 21. Um, I, I think about... Kawhi when he was that young and um you know but the role the role that Kawhi played on that team right he wasn't asked to create his own shot much and Keldon I gotta say he's he's been a really nice uh pick and roll ball handler uh he he found LaMarcus Aldridge for a, a pick and pop jumper helped him get going in that first first half against the Clippers um 
he's he's doing a better job of finding his teammates. And he said that was something that he learned in the Lakers game was the importance of making quick reads and passes. Uh, and, you know, because the, the windows in this league are so small. Um, so if you see one open, uh, a lot of times it's too late. You got to know that the opening is coming and then throw the pass as the window opens. So uh, that's definitely the biggest area of growth for his game. But like, you know, that's something that Kawhi didn't really figure out until Toronto, basically, um, just as part of his continued growth. So he can always add this stuff to his bag. It wouldn't surprise me if in a couple of years he's got a, a really nice footwork mid-range game, you know? He's got a bag like Mary Poppins. You don't know what he's gonna gonna add to it. So, right, right. You and and he's still so young. He's still so raw, but he's already so good. Uh, and I, and I think that that's Corey Maggette. Yeah, is that still the Kevin Corey Maggette? So I, I did look, by the way, uh, before we recorded the podcast. We were we know we were gonna bring up the comparisons. I did watch. Um, I was watching some stuff while we were starting on Maggette and looking at shot charts. And I mean, back in those days, they were shooting a bit more mid-range jumpers. And Keldon Johnson has shot all but three of his, his shots from the, uh, I guess, so he shoots all of his shots from the paint and the three-point line. Only three have not come from those two locations. So obviously, Maggette peppered, um, you know, mid-range jumpers a lot more. But if you watch Go and watch like YouTube videos of Maggette and watch him just drive to the basket. He, he's a big frame. He is a dominating presence when going to the, going to the rack. And he also put up threes. Um, now, do we want to argue that, that Keldon might have a, a higher ceiling than Maggette? Sure. But I do see similarities in their game. I, I, I absolutely do. Would you say Westbrook, so, is that? <laughs> the, the, the Westbrook comp, that's one that we see all the time. And I think it, part of it comes from one of his like summer league teammates calling him baby Russ. And, um, you know, I understand it on the physicality, the intensity of his drives. But Keldon's a good four inches taller than Russell Westbrook. And there's nothing that Russell Westbrook loves more than a contested 18-foot pull-up jump shot. He loves those. And I don't know if we're ever going to see Keldon Johnson take one. Uh, you know, we I mean, n- not this year, I don't think. Um, so, I, like, I've, I've been racking my brain trying to figure out what, what the comp is. Uh, and there, there's a tweet last night that spoke to me from At Halftime Joe it's like if Ben Simmons traded his passing for threes and that was just like, like it's such a, it's such a weird thing to think about that. I was like, Ooh, I like that. Um, but huge body, excellent defensive player. Um, and really puts a ton of pressure on the rim. Um, you know, people, people clown Ben Simmons about his threes. Why is he still such a great player? Oh, because there are other parts of the game that he's fantastic at. And uh, driving to the room through contact, that, that's, uh, I, th- I think that's one of my favorite comps so far. But, I mean, at the end of the day, he's Keldon Johnson, you know? And, and uh, comparison is the thief of joy and all of that. But just watching him play is a joy. And I think I'm going to 
watch him play and enjoy that more than, you know, watching YouTube videos of Corey Maggette to, to see if I can see it. your homework, man. I will. Your homework. I, will, I, I will for you because I know you're not going to shut up about it. <laughs> if, if Corey Maggette played today, he wouldn't be taking the mid-range shots. He'd be a smarter player like Keldon. I, I, I think I, That's I can... That's why. You gotta like, it's just tough to, to make that uh, comparison from the game of what it was to the game of today because obviously, you know, so much has changed as far as philosophy goes. Yeah. So – after the win last night, the Spurs are sitting at three and four. However, they're three and one with LaMarcus Aldridge. Tom, what stat do you put, what record do you put more stock into? Um, I, I think, so I don't think LaMarcus is as important as those numbers suggest because uh, those numbers are pretty stark. Um, but I think especially in, I mean, if you, if you look at the four games that they lost, they got four points from him in the back-to-back in New Orleans, which they lost by three. Um, then he's out with knee soreness for the game against the Lakers, who were tremendous, like physically, in addition to tremendous basketball team. Um, he, they had DeMar DeRozan guarding Marc Gasol for lo- long stretches. I think if the Spurs could have matched big bodies, it would have given them a, a bit of a better chance in, that, in those games. Uh, and against the Jazz with a rim protector like Gobert, even if Aldridge isn't shooting the most efficiently on those jump shots, and he's still not. He was 6-16 from last night from the floor to a 6-3. from three. He's, he's like still getting his shot right. Um, but just the fact that he's taking them could help pull Gobert out of that paint, and um, you know that was something that they really struggled with as they turned down three-point three shots and drove at the rim, and Gobert's just standing there waiting. Um, so when Aldridge is back in the mix, it provides a wonderful safety valve for the guards. I think DeJounte Murray probably missed him most. Um, when you look at like the, the pick-and-roll, pick-and-pop chemistry that they've developed over the past, my God, it's, it's four years now, more than that. Uh, I, I still think about how DeJounte is like a young guy, but like now kind of the veteran young guy. Um, and he's completely changed his game. He's not posting up anymore. He's just, he's, he seems to be done with that. And, and uh, Spurs fans can be upset that he didn't do that sooner. Um, but he seems to be fully committed to being a complimentary piece on this team. And he's still getting his in the flow, which is something that we've talked about. And the team offense um, just has a lot more options with Aldridge out of the pick and roll than with Yak. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I think that's the biggest thing that he brings. Defense, still a concern. Um, He he needs to get that shot right too. But um, I, I don't think you can look at the first seven games of this season and say the Spurs are a better team without LaMarcus Aldridge right now because they're not. And, you know, it's it's a ripple effect more than anything. And, you know, what I was saying is, and I agree, because, you know, let's also talk about this. LaMarcus Aldridge has a very high usage rate in his four games that he's played. And he's like horrific shooting the ball right now. I mean, just like, one of the worst bigs right now. I mean, he's cold. He's, he had that, that stretch in the Grizzlies game and a little bit at the start of the Clippers game 
but it's just not right. And it, it, it will get better. I don't know. Um, I don't know if he's kind of hitting that tipping point of like hitting closer to retirement than, than we think, but it's certainly not going to be this bad long-term. Having said that, what happens with LaMarcus is you get him in the starting lineup and that pushes Yach to the second unit. And if you want to talk about the best unit uh, that the Spurs have, it's DeJounte Murray, Patty Mills, Devin Vassell, Rudy Gay, Jakob Pertl. They've had 50 possessions together. So a fairly large sample size. 50 possessions is the third highest out of all the lineups the Spurs have rolled out there. Their points per possession on offense, 136. Their points per possession on defense, 74.5 for a differential of plus 61 and a half. Okay. Uh, their next best lineup, Patty Mills, Lonnie Walker, DeMar DeRozan, Rudy Gay, Jakob Pertl, 26 possessions. That's 150 points per possession on offense and then 96.7 points per possession on defense for a plus 53.3. Now, obviously, these are pretty staggering statistics um, when you think about it. Like, it just, you know, we're still trying to get a lot of these possessions. Really, I put weight into three of the lineups the Spurs have done because three of them have been 50 or more. Um, but when you look at the defensive points per possession, it's no surprise that most of the best lineups have Yaka Pirtle in it. And a lot of them, um, their points per possession on offense have Jakob Pertl in it as well. And just because Jakob doesn't do much on offense doesn't mean that the offense runs better with him in it, with the personnel around him. I mean, even when LaMarcus was out, um, you know, the defense was, was a little bit better. Uh, just, just the offense kind of suffered. That was sort of the trade-off uh, with that specific personnel. But in the second unit, I just – I just really, again, putting Yak in that second unit with those group of players is just a deadly, deadly combination. And a lot of teams can't handle that when they take their starters out. Uh, and you got to remember that today's day and age of the NBA, um, you know, you kind of have your studs and you just fill out the roster the rest of the way. And I'm not going to say that, you know, having this tremendous second rotation is going to help you you know, down the line, if you were to ever be in the playoffs, because usually that stuff doesn't really matter as you play like LeBron or Kawhi, all the minutes in the game anyway. But um, it just, that is to me, the importance of LaMarcus Aldridge. Sure, there are some elements that really help that, that Tom mentioned, but getting Yak in that second rotation really changes the effectiveness of the entire group as a whole. 57 bench points for the Spurs last night that's almost as many as the starters had yeah. um and you know i i think that the the depth in that game because look at how the clippers are built right i mean yeah. they, they got their two superstars and the depth is i mean it got better when they added ibaka and batum and that was one of the funniest parts of uh the pregame, by the way, was a, a L.A. reporter asked Pop about what he's seen on film from the Clippers yeah. and Ibaka and Batum. And Pop just like – he was like, I don't watch film on other teams. He was in rare form. And the guy's like, you – He was – Oh, my God. He was yeah. on one. Yeah. He was He was just – There's cranky He chose Pop violence. There, there was what we saw yesterday. He, he chose violence. And, you know, like we violence. said before – like we said before, it, it trickled down to his team, who also chose violence in that game. You know, they they took no prisoners. Um, so, 
but but yeah it it was uh it was funny to watch because you knew what was going to happen right Kawhi was going to come in he was going to be great he was going to head to the bench and then since you don't have Paul George to stagger and have two maybe top 10 players in the league where you can have one on the court at, at yeah at every minute of the game um they they kind of their bench unit kind of fell apart as the as the Spurs bench unit looked fantastic and when the when the clippers outscored the Spurs 40 to 22 behind 11 crazy strong Kawhi Leonard minutes i was watching that and thinking okay they just need to stay in this until they can get the bench in there um and cuz Kawhi's going to be gassed and and you know, we already saw in the early going of that game that the Spurs bench unit with Kawhi on the bench could be incredibly effective. Um, and and that was the difference in this game. Um, I mean, <laughs> like Devin Vassell, team high plus 19 in the box score. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the bench, it, um, not a single... DeJounte Murray was the only starter with a positive plus minus. Uh, and everybody on the bench was positive. So, and, and that's the thing, dude, when LaMarcus, like, if you look at the games that LaMarcus Aldridge is playing in, I mean, as I mentioned, the highest plus minuses, they're, they're, uh, they're Vassell, they're Yach, they're Rudy, and they're Patty. And it's not by coincidence because when LaMarcus Aldridge was out of those moments, um, those bench players went into the minuses for the most part. You know, I mean, Again, the Jazz game we kind of throw out as a stinger. But, but regardless, it just, it's not a surprise. It's not a surprise that when LaMarcus Aldridge was gone, you had to elevate Yach and kind of turn rotations on your, uh, you know, what you're comfortable with on its side, that, that things changed. Now, they did well against the Lakers uh, in those two games. But, you know, you just wonder how it's going to look, assuming that LaMarcus Aldridge will play against the Lakers, you know, in the, in the brief a uh, couple of questions we were able to ask LaMarcus as they were getting out of the Staples Center. Uh, he, he didn't seem like his knee was in tip-top short, uh, tip-top form. He said he's still getting through it. Um, so uh, I'm not willing to say that he's 100% for the Lakers game. I was trying to – I was hoping for a more like, hey, the knee, you know, the knee feels good. I'm glad we rested it. And he was – he really kind of just said like, yeah, you know, I'm still working through it and, you know, just got to, you know, worry about my recovery and all that. I was like, ah, oh, that's not a good route. <laughs> Dude, you're hurting right now. <laughs> yeah, and that's the biggest concern is how much of an on-again, off-again thing is this going to be? Uh, you know, we have him for one night. We, he sits for two. He comes back for three. And that's what, that's what I love so much about, uh, about fans on, on social media that are like, well, just trade LaMarcus. Well, the reasons you don't like LaMarcus is the reason why teams won't give up anything for him. Like, you need to play him. He needs to succeed. And then he creates value. Like, oh, just trade Rudy Gay. Well, until Rudy Gay proves to be a bit more efficient, you're not going to get anything for him. And, and, and with Rudy, you know, there, there's a debate to be had that down the line, it might be best to trade Rudy, even if you get nothing of value in return, just so that you clear out a log jam so that Devin Vassell can play in those minutes when Derek White comes back. So, Tom, if you had to put a number on it, how many games do you think Aldridge plays this season? Over 45? It's a 72-game season. I'm going to say he plays 50, 
three games. That's not bad. I'll take 53. He's missed four. Yeah, he played, he, he played 53 last year. Yeah. And, and before that, I mean, he was really, he was really durable. I mean, you know, throughout his career, outside of his rookie season, uh, you know, he really has played almost 70-plus games every year except last year. So this is a bad trend. Pivoting to the other guy then, how many games does Derek White play this season? Mm. Um, there's probably questions around that right like just we don't know anything yeah it's a huge bummer and a lot of you know the players are bummed pops obviously bummed it really does kind of the biggest thing about Derek White being out is I don't know if it like necessarily you know changes the path of this season tremendously but what you do is you're limiting your development with White and what you want to institute from the bubble with this team with this young group and you're kind of now delaying how this team is supposed to function long term. That's really the biggest, the, the saddest point of this. Um, but, you know, Derek White, uh, this is now three, the third straight year he's going to miss like close to 15 games at least, you know, and this could be the worst of them all. You know, he, he, he for some reason has feet issues. Like, you know, he had plantar fasciitis in both of his feet. Um, and then he's had the toe issue, freak injury. It's a new injury, uh, same toe, I believe. Um, so it just, I don't know. I mean, he had surgery. Like if he doesn't have surgery, it's not as serious as what he just came off of, but he had surgery in August of 2020, didn't return till January 1st. So September, October, November, I mean, that's a four month layoff. You know, that was 12 weeks. Uh, sorry, 16 weeks. So, you know, if it's a broken toe, I'm no doctor. I mean, I would at least expect him to be out for a month. I mean, like that, that's my expectation. Like for me, I'm not even bringing up Derek White's name in a press, in a press conference format to ask him how he's doing for like, you know, like I'm giving it three weeks. So, you know, yeah. I, I don't know what that equals out to, but I mean, you don't want to rush Derek White back. So my guess is he's probably going to miss like 20 something games this year. It, it, yeah. I, I, I think, just- I think the, the really tough thing with White's injury here is that it, I think definitely changes the plan for how they work him back in. Right. Cause if, if he just misses four games, and then you, you work him back in on a minutes restriction, and then he can get into that starting lineup. You're not disrupting chemistry in that starting unit that's been developing for a long time. Yeah. He's going to be out for, say, a month, maybe more. I think it makes it likelier that when he does come back, it'll be in a featured bench role. We already know that he plays really well with that excellent second unit that we talked about. Um, and you know, when we thought the Spurs were getting white back, uh, you know, a couple games ago for the, for the rest of the season, I was looking more toward a Derek in the starting lineup type of, uh, path. And now I think that at least for this year, um, we'll, we'll probably see Derek in a bench role when he does come back. It's, it's terrible news, man. It's really uh, just 
I mean, you work so hard to get to this point. You work so hard to come back from, you know, one of many feet injuries. He needs to get some better shoes, man. I don't know. I don't know what his shoe deal is. Is he, is he Nike? I think he's Nike. I don't know. He's, he's, I think he, needs, that, he needs some of those, uh, some of those yeah. uh, Dr. Scholl's orthopedic inserts or whatever. I don't know what's happening to, with his feet. He needs man. to go to Matt Bonner route and somebody's got to donate a foot. I mean, is there, there any, is there any long-term concern here? You know, we've dealt with this several years, two plantar fascia, surgery, a broken toe. I mean, is this going to be a consistent thing throughout his career? Because uh, he's one of the more valuable players, the young players the Spurs have. If it's Keldon Johnson at one, he's what, 1A, 1B? Uh, right there with the junkie up there as well. So. I think part of it is the way he plays. He's, he's physical. He puts his body in harm's way. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not concerned so much about his, the long-term durability of his body because he's a tough cookie, you know. Um, he's he's going to get beat up and take his, his nicks and bruises, though, because, you know, he's an intense player. He's willing to jump in front of a freight train if it means – forcing a turnover for his guys. So, um, you know, you, you love that about him, but at the same time, you just wish he, uh, you know, wouldn't get so many of these weird injuries. And, and like, the, the toe one wasn't taking a charge. The toe one was just, like, stubbing his toe, like you or I yeah. do on the coffee table, uh, you know, more, more than we care to admit, probably. But, um, you know, maybe that – Maybe that second toe on his left foot is just like way longer than the other ones. And it's sticking out and causing a problem and like, you know, it, it just doesn't fit right in his shoe and and it's it's prone to injury. I don't know. I haven't looked at his feet recently. I need to get Tom some uh, some some pictures, really high def, just really zoomed in on the feet there. Really yeah. Dial up the analysis. Yeah, that would that would really help me. So you know, right, we'll work on my that. DMs are open. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean who knows if this is going to be a recurring issue. Um, you know, Lonnie Walker came into the Spurs with these injury concerns and, you know, he got injured in college and then he got injured the first year. And then it, it you know, it, it kind of kept resurface, resurfacing on, on his knees and whatever it might be. And knock on wood, he's been okay, you know, for a long stretch here. So, you know, you would imagine that, um, Here's the thing. I think the Spurs absolutely played it like, like definitely safe bringing him back. Uh, it, I don't think it's any coincidence that January 1st, they just decided to bring him back. It, it made it clear like, hey, at the beginning of the new year, we'll start doing this. Um, with the feet being an issue, I'm, I'm almost certain that the Spurs training staff will now focus on remedies to make sure that he alleviates some pressure on his feet or whatever it might be. So who knows? Um, but if there is one knock on Derek White, it's staying healthy. And that's until proven otherwise, that will continue to be a fear of ours. And whenever they can get him back, the Spurs will welcome him back. Uh, he is a talent that they really, uh, you know, when he's on the court, they're better. And uh, I, I agree with Tom. I do think a, a feature role in the second unit is probably the best way moving forward when he does come back, pairing him up with Jakob Pertl. Uh, it's funny that you talk about not upsetting the, the consistency that the starting lineup gets, um, but then we talk about how good this bench unit is and how important it is. And upsetting the consistency of the bench unit doesn't seem to be as much as a concern. But I, I mean, I, I think he will gel more with that second unit, people he's more used to playing with uh, and, and where he can be more of a feature guy there. 
Uh, moving forward uh, from this game, they've got one more game in Los Angeles tomorrow night versus the Lakers. The Lakers will be off the schedule from that point on, which is, I know it was a uh, Tom, I think, I mean, maybe it was Evan who tweeted. That's a welcome site for Spurs fans uh, to, to not have to face the defending champions anymore after tomorrow. And then they the strength of schedule just got a lot easier, man. <laughs> yeah. And then moving from, from forward from there, they go to Minnesota for a back-to-back against the Timberwolves and then wrapping up the road trip against the Oklahoma city thunder. And then they're back home uh, for a uh, back-to-back with the Rockets there. What are you guys looking forward to in this matchup, Tom? Anything stand out to you? Um, I, if LaMarcus Aldridge is back and, and healthy for this Lakers game, I'm excited to see how the Spurs look with him. I'm excited to see if Pop decides to go with a bigger lineup. Um, there, there are a lot of different things in that uh, matchup that I'm looking for. And obviously, no matter how it goes, another great test for these young guys, another chance for Keldon to guard LeBron and attack Anthony Davis and, you know, just scream at whatever gets in his way. Um, and if the Spurs can steal that game, uh, I'll be ecstatic. Um, if they lose that game, I will not care in the slightest. Uh, however, if they lose a game in Minnesota, that's a problem. Um, Minnesota is not a good team, even with Carl Anthony Towns. And Carl Anthony Towns has a dislocated wrist right now. So, um, assuming he's not back for those games, Spurs absolutely need to win those games. And, um, you know, even if Cat's back, they, they really need to win those games. Um, Anthony Edwards is a dude. Love him, honestly. He's, he's fun. He's one of my favorite, like, rookie interview uh, subjects that I've seen in a while. He's hilarious. Um, but at, at the end of the day, the Spurs really need to – if they want to improve on their performance from last season, right – what was the thing that killed their playoffs hopes last season? It was losing to teams that mm-hmm. going in, you knew they should have beat. Um, and the Minnesota Timberwolves are absolutely one of those teams. They're among the worst in the league. And um, I'm, I'm glad that the Spurs are going to be going in there with some confidence, hopefully, after taking this big one in, in L.A., you know, you figure if, if you can walk into Staples Center as the Spurs come out with a split, you're feeling pretty good heading to Minnesota. Like, okay, we just competed with, you know, Kawhi and LeBron and AD. We got something for D'Angelo Russell, you know? Um, and it's always and stinking. So, no, I don't know why. They, I feel like they always just throw up a turd in Minnesota. The, the Spurs are Minnesota. <laughs> For her, that, that's that's something that I feel. But they don't. The thing is, they don't have uh, Spurs killer and, uh, Andrew Wiggins anymore. Uh, so that's a good point. You know, that's a good point. Um, I I think that and and then that OKC game is also very winnable, right? So let's say the Spurs go uh, three and one to close the the road trip. If it's chalk, they're six and five team. That's not bad. I mean, it's not bad when you you assumed that they were going to go 0 and 4 against the LA squads. Right. You know, I mean, that's just reality. And by the way, Vegas projected the Spurs to be 0 and 7. (laughs) Um, Vegas has not made the Spurs a favorite in any game, and they're going to, they're an underdog again 
uh, against the Lakers. So that's going to be eight straight games to start the season as underdogs. They're five and two against the spread with three outright victories. So, you know, you use that information with, with whatever you will, uh, you know, that's, that's just throwing it out there. Um, but it's just interesting to see how, um, and again, not that Vegas necessarily thinks that the Spurs are going to lose all those games, just more so also public perception of the Spurs and, and where people think they are. Um, so I definitely think uh, San Antonio is certainly better than what the public thinks. Um, you know, it's, it's just so funny how quick everyone is to kind of overreact sometimes to a slippery slope. And as I said, um, it, the jazz game being such um, the, the jazz game happened at a bad time, right? Like those, you know, you think about those games four or five times a year, as I mentioned, and when you had an explainable loss an explainable loss an explainable loss into just an outlier mess, um, you knew you were going to get the boo birds out on, on social media. So um, we'll see how they rebound again. Um, encouraging with LaMarcus back out there in that second unit. Having said that, there are still certainly concerns because they're not going to hit 23-pointers every game. So, you know, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of still interested to see if they can consistently have a good offensive night for a stretch. You know, I want to see them for, for a handful of games have a nice, you know, nice stretch there because it's really like Grizzlies, Toronto, four games of ugh, and then – uh, the Clippers. So they've got the room on the schedule to make a run, right? If they can do well against the Lakers tonight, uh, I mean, tomorrow night, win or lose, you know, that's some confidence going into Timberwolves. It should be easily winnable. Oklahoma City should be a winnable game. And then they've got back to backs against the Rockets. You know, these are, that's a yeah. stretch where it'd be good to put some consistency together. The parity in the NBA is, is significantly better than what it was, you know, three, two, three, four years ago. Um, you know, the Western Conference is so, so hard, but it's not like the Western Conference is sealed up with its eight top teams and everyone else. You know, those, those playing game teams are, are going to come down to, you know, just the margin for error. And when you project these seasons, you project wins. I think a lot of those teams at the end are going to be able to exceed their margin for error and, and make the playoffs, similar to what the Spurs did two years ago when they made the seventh seed, they just played out of their minds for an entire season. And, and that's, you know, that's bound to happen. I don't know if these Spurs will be it, but I mean, you just saw, you know, the, it's not like the Blazers are coming out hot. I think they were a bit overrated to start the season. I think they'll figure it out, but their defense is, is a bit of a mess. Their offense is stagnant. Um, you know, they blew a 20 point lead against the Bulls. Um, you know, like outside the Clippers and the Lakers, um, and, and, you know, obviously, like, the Jazz will be there and some other teams. But it's like there are flaws with so many teams that, you know, it just – you know, if you get on a heater, you're going to be able to to build up some momentum to, to feel like you can make a run. And I think when this Spurs team gets going, they're scary, right? Like, yeah. like when, they're, when they're playing at their best, they can beat the best. And, and so – I do want to say this because I totally meant to bring it up when we were talking about the games. The one thing – the one thing that has been overtly consistent night in and night out has been the Spurs in transition. They have, they have really, really succeeded at a high level in transition, mostly off of steals, 
But, like, last night against the Clippers, they just crushed them on rebounds. Just run it. Like, that is what the Spurs are built to do. They are, they are built for, for easy points in transition. And that, that point of emphasis has come across to San Antonio. And they're not bad defending in transition as they were in the preseason. I was really scared. They've been pretty good. I'm not saying they're awesome. Just I don't think that that's why they're losing games. I think they're, they're certainly uh, holding their own on that end. Uh, it's mostly getting crushed by three-pointers, which I think is bound to regress to the mean at some point. Uh, we saw a little bit of a last night in the first half, and then, boop, there it goes, Beverly for six three-pointers. Um, I do think the Spurs are falling into some bad luck, uh, some, some bad defense into some bad luck. I think it's a mixture of both from, from deep. And also teams are, are getting – a lot of easy makes in the paint uh, near the rim. But beyond that, I just – the one thing you can look at night in and night out is this team running up and down the court in transition. And if they do that, they will always find a place in a game, I think. I agree 100%. And I think that comes down mainly to uh, not just the length that all of these guys have, right? I, I remember there was a play last night where – I believe it was Keldon pressuring ball and DeJounte on the intended receiver. It did not go well for the Clippers. And, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of plays like that where, and I, I forget which of the players said, I think it was Keldon last night said that ball pressure for them was the key to forcing turnovers, the key to getting out in transition. And Spurs have a lot of guys who can put pressure on the ball defensively. Um, even Patty Mills is a gnat, you know, like yeah. sure. He's going to get crushed on screens, but like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to try to dribble past Patty. He would, he would be, uh, all up in my Jersey. Um, but, but you, you look at guys like Lonnie and DeJounte and Keldon and Devin Vassell. Uh, these guys love playing defense. They're instinctual defenders. They jump passing lanes. Um, and one of, one of my favorite plays that, uh, Derek made in in the game that he played was uh, Keldon was was playing defense at the three point arc on Kuzma, jumped on a on a pump fake, and lost him on a on a back cut. Uh, but Derek saw it happening and reacted in real time, planted his feet and drew a charge. So when you have a whole bunch of high level defenders playing together, you're bound to get out in transition. And then these guys are fast and athletic and aggressive and they go after the rim and they seek open shots and they find each other. They play for each other. Um, It's fun. It's fun to watch. It's fun for them. Um, And that was something DeJounte said last night was like, I need to be having fun. You know, it it needs to be fun for me out there. And uh, these guys have fun playing with each other and for each other. So, um, I think that identity is going to carry a lot of weight for the Spurs this year. Uh, I think that the intensity, the effort level, especially on defense, has been fairly consistent. Um, it's the communication and execution that needs to improve. And, um, you know, it's, it's still figuring some of that out together, um, you know, because the, the lineups aren't, too different than they were last year, but they're different. Um, and guys are uh, still figuring it out here, and not to mention playing against some of the better offensive uh, units in the league. So I, th- I think that as the year goes on, 
we're going to see a lot more discipline on running guys off the three-point line. We're going to see uh, better rotations and better communication. And like Yak said before the game last night, you know, guys defending better individually and then everybody on a string communicating and, you know, rotating to where they need to be in the team defense. And they've got really excellent individual and team defenders. I think Devin Vassell is one of my favorite team defenders that I have watched, just the way he operates. Um, And, you know, like we said before, obviously it's really unfortunate that Derek's not going to be in there, but the, the silver lining is Devin Vassell will get an opportunity here to develop and show what he's got. And, um, you know, hopefully by the time Derek White's back, Devin Vassell will have carved out a, uh, a pretty consistent role for himself. Um, and I, I think even in his rookie year, he has the chops and do that. So um, definitely still a development year for the Spurs, but one in which they've already shown they can compete with, uh, you know, some of the better teams in the league. So I, I think uh, people uh, who are saying that the season is over, maybe a bit premature, maybe, maybe a bit early to throw it in the tank for Cade Cunningham or an 11% chance at him or whatever. Evan Mobley, uh, baby. I'm just <laughs> sure. saying, I love sure. Evan Mobley. Um, Whoever. Yeah. But six games into a season, seven games into a season, even in a shortened season, is a little too early to throw in the towel. Yeah. We just don't have enough sample size. As I said, I mean, you're just getting you're, – you're still trying to figure out this team, right? Like, you know, things change in a dime. Statistics are flying all over the place. Um, one other trend that I want, I want to just mention quickly, uh, DeJounte Murray, right? The number one thing we talked about, finish at the rim, finish at the rim. First three years in the league, 54 55% at the rim. Very consistent. This year so far, he's at 72% at the rim. That that puts him in the ninety seventh percentile as for point guards. You love it to is, see it. it. It's it's truly remarkable what he is doing, and if this can stay, I don't know if he's going to stay at seventy two percent. But if we can see him just progress to like in the sixties somewhere, that that's significant. That's amazing, you know. And and, and we want we want to kind of see that. You know, Lonnie's at least like a year or two behind Dejounte in in development. Lonnie hasn't quite got there yet. Um, Lonnie was at 58% around the rim last year. He's at 56% right now. So he's still kind of in that stagnant mode of staying kind of where he was uh, from last year. Wanted to see him continue to progress there. But, but man, uh, outside of the Jazz game where everyone stunk it up, DeJounte Murray – has really been that dude that we've been talking about. Like it is, it is so cool to see DeJounte, you know, shut people up and it, it's never going to stop them because a jazz game's going to happen. Uh, a Pelicans game wasn't great either uh, where everyone else stunk as well, but it's, it's pretty evident that on bad shooting nights, you know, DeJounte Murray is a part of the bad night. And that's not to say like, th- that's just talking a little bit about his importance. Like, his responsibility now is much higher than what it was when he came into the San Antonio organization. And I know he wants that pressure. So, you know, when he thrives and rises to the occasion, the Spurs are a pretty darn good team and he's not going to be able to do that for 72 games. But if you get 58 games like that, uh, 55 games like that, you got, you got a pretty scary team. 
Yeah, you love to see DeJounte finishing at the rim there. Uh, it's something he's got the talent and the ability to do. So just increasing the percentage of when he can do that is great. And I mean, heck, even Jakob Pertl had a dunk last night. So I'll take it. Uh, and, and speaking of uh, dunk, we're going we're gonna to slam dunk this podcast into the uh, basket as well. That was terrible, um, but we're rolling with it. You, do, you need to get one. You are, you, when it talks about consistency, that's what we, we love. Yeah, you went. You went the whole episode dad jokeless. Yeah, I, I was honestly. A few in, but I don't know. It was, it was hanging over my, the specter of it was hanging over my head the whole time. Well, that's at, at real Tom Petrini. Tom Petrini over there. He's covering the Kins 5 uh, digital side. All your Spurs coverage there. Evan Klosky at Evan Klosky. I'm Jackson Floyd at Jackson Kins 5. And you can follow the podcast at Big Fun Pod on Twitter as well. Uh, would you call them Evan Boo Birds? Uh, we want to hear from you. So uh, yeah. I want to rip. I want to ask you guys one final question to, to wrap up here on um, Tony Parker has a documentary drop drop documentary dropping on Netflix. Uh, what other spur do you guys want to see a documentary from Tom? We'll start with you. Oh man. Uh, I, I would love to really go into Dwayne Schnitzis's life. Uh, I, I just feel like you don't end up with hair like that unless you have a really interesting life story. Um, but uh i i think i think manu and and tim obviously um are people with really interesting life stories um you know we we all know about these guys as players right um but you know tim from his early life to where, where the, his path to the nba definitely the most unconventional uh path to a first pick in uh, NBA history that's something that they would do in like 2k like you are seven feet tall and love swimming but you're afraid of sharks and then the hurricane just took out the only pool on your eye like like it, it's something where you you watch it and you're like there's no way this happens in real life you know um and um I there there are plenty of guys on this current team too that you know, from from Dejounte to Lonnie and and these guys who uh, are are young, but they've been through a lot, and I think have learned a lot. That's something that I talked to Lonnie about. Was um, you know, he he went through a lot of trauma as a kid, and he said it grew him up quick. And I think that's something that you'll see with a lot of these Spurs players that you know have have lived full lives as people. Uh, and I, I think that's something that uh, sports fans in general kind of forget about from time to time is that these are all, you know, human beings with unique stories. So I think the obvious answer is Boban, but. Uh... <laughs> yes, I can't <laughs> believe I, I. I'm sorry, Boban, if you're listening. That was, I think that was just understood. Did you guys not see the Boban documentary, John Wick 3? John Wick 3. <laughs> Get out of here. Uh, I'll say Boban and David Robinson. Uh, you know, I think we're all familiar with David Robinson and what he does. Just um, what a phenomenal guy. I'm going to cheat here and say I want a Netflix original series, seven episodes inspired by Greg Popovich, uh, a, a, an Air Force guy who, uh, who becomes a secret agent, travels to Serbia, uh, undercover as a basketball coach. Uh, I, I'm here for it. Netflix, call me. Uh, or DM me on Twitter. That's all we got for the Big Fun Pod today. We'll see you next week. We'll wrap up the road trip conversation and uh, whatever happens in between. We'll see you next time. Hey.